60 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You have 60 seconds to comply. This is minute 87. Part man. Part machine. All pod. This minute continues the chase between Lewis and Bodica. And we and, have a guest. And we do have a guest. I don't know why the end of that sentence got deleted, so we'll just pretend. We'll do it in post. We'll pre- <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be it ends with and finishes with. Um, but apparently the text just disappeared on me. So that's fine. That's fine. We have a <laughs> guest, though. We'll focus on that. This is going really well so far. Uh, what is it with us and technical issues? <laughs> yeah. but, oh, yep. we're magnets for them. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. So, but yes, yes. <laughs> We're joined once again by Rick of the Mad Max Minutes. That's right, cop suckers. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you going with Waterworld? <laughs> yeah, were we both on Waterworld? I can't remember. Oh my gosh. Um, I think the gimmick for Waterworld is Courtney. I brought you on with someone all the way on the other side of the country, and I tried to no, span uh, the entirety of Australia all at once. Yeah, Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's um, what it was. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, yeah. I am back uh, representing Mad Max Minute and Waterworld H2O minutes at a time. I have a third project, but I'm going to save that for the end of the episode when we do actual plugs, because I don't want to bog us down here at the beginning. Yes. Front loading. Oh, don't worry. That's, that's what they they used to do that back in the day with old movies and there's credits for about twenty minutes at the beginning. We, we don't do that here. <laughs> well, now it's gone to the fact of sometimes movies don't even have a bloody title. Mm-hmm. It's like ridiculous, which is which is funny just as a as an off the cuff thing. There was there used to be like um a, what you call it uh like uh, I think it was a director's guild thing where it's like you know no the movie has to start with titles and the director thing and. I can't remember which movie bucked the trend, but it was one of those weird things where, like, um, one director was just like, no, I just want to start the movie. I don't want all these goddamn credits. So, and they got into a heap of trouble over it. This is decades ago now, so, but, yeah, it's it's funny that, you know, that used to be a, a mandated thing. Like, you have to show all these credits first. But you know what I miss? Animated credit sequences, like, with cartoons and stuff like that. They were fun. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we we at a really interesting uh, point of the movie, and yeah, one uh, I've got, got some notes on that, obviously, but it's um, quite an infamous scene. And but my first note is we got some hot car and car action going on here. Yes, a bit of a car chase happening, and uh, I'm wondering, did that hubcap come off intentionally, or is that just an accident? Uh, I do have some notes on that, and I ah. so I'll quickly jump to the commentary uh yes it was as what uh, ed and paul say it was a lucky shot <laughs> and it went straight over the camera uh paul did joke that maybe they should tell people that it nearly decapitated the director of photography like well it looks like it almost decapitated the director of photography because yeah with how close it comes to the camera that yeah was very nearly a very <laughs> expensive coincidence or accident, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But, you know, of, for all the shots you could take of, like, you, you couldn't, well, you could try and plan that, but you, but that's one of those things you just can't plan. That there was, and for it to also not just go off to the side or anything, and to actually spin and bounce and, yeah, and, and not even, yeah, not even hit the camera. Um, the big question is did they add the sound effect? That little whoosh karate chop sound uh, effect, or was that I all natural? Didn't, 
they didn't say. I imagine that was because it it's it does have sound recording because of the the cars themselves. I mm-hmm. don't imagine they would have added that in Fallout, so that could be legit. I just <laughs> I love its inclusion. Uh, yeah. I'm definitely of the camp. They added it in post, but just that little whoosh, as if it yeah. actually is a danger. No, I was going to say, as if it's a dangerous thing. No, it is a dangerous thing. But just to add a little bit of levity to the mortal peril. (laughs) Imagine dying with a part of a car that it really isn't necessary. It is purely decorative. I mean, it kind of keeps a little bit of the dirt and dust out. But, like, really? For real? I think that Boddicker has very good reason to be disappointed because the 6000 SUX is a luxury vehicle. (laughs) His his version isn't. (laughs) It's meant to be quality, and here they are slapping hubcaps on these things? Well, like, his is a little (laughs) bit rough, considering all the black smoke pouring out of it It's seen better days, and it's not going to see better days very soon. Oh, definitely. But, um, no, I think if there was a danger for a cameraman to be decapitated or anything they probably would have mentioned it because they did mention at the um gas station explosion that there was a cameraman close to it who nearly got fried but he was under like you know fire blankets and stuff like that so they could get a really close shot but i'm imagining for a shot like this because there are cars they just lock the camera off let it roll and then shouted action just and just you know because if, if anything does happen, like if a car does skid out, yeah, they might trash a camera and like you know in the film and all that. But it's better than trashing the the people involved. You know, sometimes you've got to take those extra steps. When they were making Road Warrior, they wanted a shot of vehicles, you know, crashing off the side of the road, and they mm. put their camera inside of a bunch of tires and dirt and they put a big plexiglass thing on top of it and then i think it was specifically for the tanker crash at the end and i think the uh the rear wheels or the tanker itself more or less Mm -hmm. fell almost on top of the camera Um, (laughs) it might have been actually for a smaller crash it's been at Mm -hmm. admittedly listeners it's been a few years since the last time i talked about road warrior professionally so my facts are probably a little off, but I do remember yeah. that they almost ran over a camera in much mm. the same way as in this scene. Yeah, like car stunts and things like that. They've they've had enough industry experience to know, yeah, these things are a bit unpredictable. We're just going to set up a camera and get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> yeah, it's only the, like... Well, let's face it. It's only like the poor people who are like the student film, the, the, the you know, still film students and all that type of stuff who probably take the most risks, indie productions and stuff like that. But no, the pros would just be like, no, we set up the camera and leave. Like as long as it's as long as it's in focus and it's locked off, we get the hell out of there. Listen, you would be surprised at what some people will do for college credit. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those shots where you don't really think about it, and then you rewatch and go, "Oh my god, that was so good!" Because, well, let's face it, we've got a, a, a very iconic piece of this movie that just kind of overshadows it. Yeah, and I do like how in a lot of the notes and in the commentary they do refer to Emil as the Melting Man. <laughs> I noticed that. This is um, again. I'm just going to skip straight to the commentary. So John, the producer, actually says that in test audiences, the the most favorite uh, moment was the melting man getting hit by the car. 
<laughs> I am fascinated by this. I'm really, I've gone deep in thinking about, okay, when he gets liquefied on impact, there's, like, there's no bones, <laughs> there's nothing, which means he was radically just yeah. deteriorating. And, I mean, radiation does that. This, this, continuing my theory that this is radioactive waste in particular. Yeah, and, of course, uh, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> although, so Emil is like, don't touch me, get away, which, you know, good, good instinct. But I think it's too late. If it's radioactive, you've been exposed. You, you're done. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, Leon, he actually, you know, he, he's, he's grasping. You actually see Leon running away. He's got some goo on him. So, yeah, he's he's probably dead anyway. I mean, he's going to be dead anyway, anyway. But well, mm, but, That's yeah. a horrifying thing about radiation. Uh, Chernobyl, you know, the, the miniseries yeah. that... Is the scariest horror movie, and it's not even fantasy. It's real because if you get touched by this invisible thing that you don't even notice, it's the, you're cursed. It's the it kind of curse thing that will kill you. It'll stick with you, and then when you fake your death by making it look like a cop blows you up with a super powered rifle, and you move to the Pacific <laughs> Northwest and start a family, that you know radiation <laughs> will seep into your brain, and then before you know it. You're making up imaginary <laughs> creatures and, you know, killing your daughter and stuff like that. Uh, it's all connected. Another Batman reference two minutes in a row. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's uh, no. The funny thing is, is like, uh, OK, yeah, I, I will. I will come on the side of defending radioactivity. Uh, and that's, yeah, it was, yeah, it was it was a contact and probably trace amounts and things like that. So, like, you wouldn't... Yeah, it probably would be a slow... If it was anything, it would be slow. But, yeah, at the same time... Ah. All right, so what you're be saying... He's probably not going to die, but... No. Simon, no. are you insinuating that being bathed in toxic waste was a good thing? Because no, I'm, if Emil I'm had, in... like, some sort of latent lymphoma or, you know, <laughs> cancer that he didn't know about, well, congratulations, you're cancer-free now. No, exactly. I'm saying if Emil had survived the car crash, he would have become the next Marvel superhero. Um, though the uh, no, I'm just saying another fact of like uh, being down. I was thinking it was going to be uh, sorry. I was, I was saying it's going to be more like uh, where Mole Man gets the lasers and he says, "Oh, I can see." Oh no, I'm blind. Easy go, easy Yeah, I mean, Robocop oh, should be Robocop. glad that they are in old Detroit and not in Tromaville. Because, as we all know, a few years yes. before this came out, we had yes. the Toxic Avenger who turned yeah. from, what was he, was like an 89-pound dweeb, and then he turned into yeah. this giant mountain of muscle. Yeah, uh, we I brought that up uh, last uh, minute, which is yeah. coming out after we're recording this. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's pretty funny how, like, well, this this was that era, like that, that 80s year where radiation, like, post uh, Three Mile Island, yeah, Chernobyl, and this is pre-Chernobyl, wasn't it? It's roughly uh, the same time uh, period, yeah. um, like Three Mile Island, China Syndrome, the yeah, the uh, the uh, the fossil fuel industry demonizing the hell out of radioactivity. But yeah, like the whole thing of like top. I mean, yeah, I, I uh, joke about the Nineteen eighty six. So yeah. oh, there you go. So Chernobyl Very happened. Good. Yeah, so it, it was definitely on the public conscience. And if anything, this is a movie that's all about like the public conscience, like hyper-capitalism, mm -hmm. the industry moving out, and like militarization, Reaganism, all that type of stuff. Mm. It's almost like they got an auteur to make this. <laughs> I like when stories are actually about things, and, uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to reference the, the remake 
just yet. Well, We've, that's too early, way too early. But, I, I don't you know, want to yeah. reference the remake at all, but... <laughs> no, frankly, no, neither do I. But yeah, when, when someone actually has something to say and they're actually criticising things and there's actually a point to the, the themes mm. of their story, oh, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a, yeah. a miracle. <laughs> if only more movies did that. Yeah. <laughs> no, damn it, but, there's uh, not enough room for spectacle. There needs to be more spectacle. More CGI. More CGI. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is that, as I said, the um, the, the, the audience loved the Melty Man getting tested by the car. The funny thing is the MPAA wanted them to remove the Melty Man getting hit by the car sequence. And it was Orion who actually was on the side of the filmmakers for a change. And they're like, only because they're like, we are not going to lose the thing that the audiences loved. We can't yeah. get rid of that. So, and, you know, it probably cost a lot of time and money and uh, some probably the most elaborate special effects. No, this is a studio. They probably don't give a crap about that. They care about bums True. on seats. But, uh, <laughs> and I'm there going, well, you kind of have to have this moment because the, the one thing I've noted down is it's it's actually quite a nice little bit, bit of irony is that um, it wasn't like, you know, Murphy or Lewis actually like causing his downfall in that sense of like, you know, they, the, the action's... No direct slot, but it's Emil, you know, who causes him to, you know, crash his car. You know, he blocks, you know, destroys his like vision and crashes the car. So it's like this lovely little bit of like uh, serendipity. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Emil was like one of those guys, like you know, how can I put it this way? Like he doesn't exactly treat his crew great in many ways, but no. um, his Emil's one of his like was like the guy who did like drove the banister, like, and yeah, just. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going. I'm rambling now. Rest in peace, Bobby. <laughs> there is a bit, there is a sense of irony to it that mm. Emil put so much stock in being part of Clarence's gang. And yeah, he that's probably saw them all as a sort of family. And then when the rubber hit the road, um, <laughs> literally. Or the latex. Uh, yeah, when the when the foam latex and you know catering leftovers hit the road, like they abandoned <laughs> him. They had no desire to help him. Uh, mm. Not that they really could. <laughs> well, technically speaking, being hit by the car was putting him out of his misery. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't get the sense that Clarence did it out of mercy, though. Uh, no. Especially considering, I, I would he... love this sort of thing in the novelization. You know, the, going uh, through Emile's mind and oh. what he's thinking. <laughs> what What was the last thing to go through Emile's mind? I think it was Clarence's windshield. I was just about to make that joke. <laughs> uh... <laughs> No, the um, well, I'm gonna say if we move quickly to the script, I've got I'm running out of notes quickly. But no, um, no, it's funny because like there are differences because like you know when it comes to a script and a, a, an actual movie, when it comes to like these action scenes, there's always going to be a sense of like what may work on the page is not going to work in the physical environment. So mm. there's always going to be changes just necessitated by that. And one of the significant ones is like in both the script and of course the novelization is that uh, Emil, sorry, uh, Clarence after hitting Emil uh, hits like a like a they're described as like a rolling machine, like a giant pillar. Whereas of course in the movie um, he you know, flies. <laughs> that's actually a pretty good stunt, and we'll probably see the rest of it in the next minute. But like you know, he he flies off the ramp and lands in in the pit. Whereas, of course, the final confrontation is between Robocop and Clarence happens. 
And is there any the, information on how they did the car flip stunt? Because I, I don't know if there's actually a driver in there, or how the hell did they do that? Uh, not in the commentary in this minute. Um, you can't see the interior really, but there's no way, because it lands completely on the roof. You couldn't have a driver in there, I don't think. I'm not sure how they would have done it back then, but I know modern day times they use air pressure and just essentially cannon. Oh, that could be it. Cannon it. So going frame by frame, as the car is twisting through the air, you can see through the windshield and there is no driver. So they probably used the um, bar that's sticking out from beneath the car while it's flipping, attached it to Mm. a guide wire, and then just attached the other end of that wire to a truck which drove uh, perpendicular and pulled the car mm. over a one-sided ramp. Mm. Oh, I'm realizing I'm looking on the wrong side because our steering wheels are on the right side. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the left side is is vacant as it should not be because it's an American car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you always drive on the wrong side of the road. You drive on the wrong side of the car. Damn, you people. Uh, no, it's driving in miles d- per hour instead of kilometers madness listen i i will i will for, <laughs> i will fight the metric system tooth and nail to preserve my heritage of a made-up and totally nonsensical <laughs> unit of measure as your right as an american damn it yep it's my right as an american and i am armed to the teeth <laughs> <laughs> So, what what bullet are you using in your in your gun? Are you using a nine millimeter? Listen, that's not important. What's important is stopping power. And, and we measure those, I think, in uh, eagle eggs per freedom. So, yeah. We don't need to worry about math. <laughs> No, but oh Jesus! Um, no, there is different ways to. Oh yeah, you know, Hollywood has developed several different ways. So yeah, it could be a guide wire, it could be an air cannon, and all sorts of things. But uh, the funny thing is, I'm looking at the um, the back view of um, the SUX, and it's like like almost like a Batmobile kind of turbine vent. And I'm probably thinking that that could have been used for the air piston as well. They just literally just stick a rod in there and. <laughs> but um. No, it, for a budget like this, yeah, it's probably like a guide wire or something like that. Or they probably just, you know, uh, maybe stuck a brick on the accelerator and left left it. <laughs> now, before we get too far past the impact, because mm. we did kind of focus in on the SUX flipping into the pit, but I want to make sure that we give due diligence to Clarence actually running over a meal. Uh, did either of you consult RobocopArchive.com for this no. scene? Oh, not for this one. Um, no, I forgot all about that. There is a stuff. whole page dedicated to the Melting Man <laughs> effect. And oh, I'm so glad someone remembers. The My favorite part of it is that they had all the prosthetics that they put on the actor that uh, they covered um, Paul McCrane with. And hmm. for this impact, they took a posable dummy... And they put all of the prosthetics and the clothing and they posed it on the ground and they purposely left the net connection loose. So that way, when the car hits the dummy, the head comes 
clean off and slides across the hood towards the window. Um, And I'm pretty sure, what did they say? The, um, they applied the first and second stage melting man makeup to the dummy. And since the dummy was jointed when it got hit by the car, it moved around in a, what they call a realistic way. And then, Oh, it's glorious. And then for the reverse angle inside the car, the goop, for lack of a better word, um, by the way, uh, great um, Gwyneth Paltrow product, Goop. Uh, it consisted of a uh, slurry of leftovers from the catering company, <laughs> which included uh, raw chicken, soup, gravy, yep. vegetables, <sighs> and whatever else the caterer had on hand. Oh, yeah. They oh, left it in yeah. a bucket and let it liquefy for a few days, and then they filled all, they filled balloons with all of that rancidness and threw it <sighs> at the windshield for that inside shot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That smelled wonderful. I'm willing to bet it did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they probably was like, we're just going to finish shooting everything in the car mm-hmm. as much as possible. Then we're going to have it ram into the, uh, they might've done either one first. They either did the ramming of the dummy first or the inside shot first. Cause part of me is just there going, you probably don't want to clean that up. And then probably went, yep, we've, we've really done a disservice to this vehicle. Now we flip the bucker. (laughs) Yeah. Just literally in that order, in, in that order. I I do think, cause I think I remember the, um, the stuff that was shot last was the Murphy death scene at the, not this steel mill, but the other steel mill. The one in California, I believe. Uh, but I think all this stuff was shot towards the end as well. All the um, the steel mill stuff was shot towards the end. So the, the, the beginning chase scene and this whole sequence, I think, was shot towards the end of production. Hmm. I'm always curious about that, the shooting order of films and... You know, is there a natural instinct to want to try to shoot in order, or do they not care about that? Uh, sometimes it's logistics. So, for example, if you've got a location that's split between two parts of the movie, uh, then you're going to bracket that shooting location for one shot. Uh, there are uh, filmmakers who like to shoot in order of script, but again, it depends on the logistics. If you've got like a one room, one setup, you can shoot it like a you can shoot it like a theater production. You can just right just do it in that order. But um, no, a lot of it's location and logistics and actors. Like if you've got an actor who's like a star and he's only available one day, you shoot around that and blah 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 blah. Yeah, I think a good example of that was the nineteen eighty six Highlander movie because they mm. only had Sean Connery for seven days. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that's a usually a thing. If you've got a big star now only available for a short amount of time, you shoot them in everything as quickly as possible. Yep. <laughs> you got him for five, seven days, you do everything in those seven days. Wasn't he supposed to be Egyptian or something? I don't know the total tangent. Wasn't he supposed to be like Egyptian or something? Oh yeah, yeah. He was Spanish. He was Egyptian oh, yeah, initially. He's, yeah, he's Egyptian. And then yeah. uh the latest place he had been from was the Spanish court. And that's then it. he went yep. to the Highlands. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's called Highlander. Yeah. You get one of the yeah. most famous Scottish actors. Well, I mean... He doesn't play. <laughs> yeah, but also the Scot was a French. 
but the skull was a French. <laughs> they were all technically aliens from the planet Zeiss, but that's revealed oh, no, in the sequel. No, no, that, what? no, that does not. We don't talk about that. That, that didn't no, happen. Lies. The, oh, there can only there can be only one movie, and that's it. There's no other movies. There's no TV series. There's no animated TV series. There could be only one. Yeah. Yes. But, yes. Exactly. I say, you just wait. Highlander 2 The Quickening is going to have its moment because it takes place in 2024. So in oh, however many nice. months, once that calendar ticks over, it's uh, quickening time, baby. I oh, no. I have a dirty I have a dirty secret. Uh, I saw Highlander 2 first. <laughs> and I really and, and I really enjoyed it. And then I finally watched Highlander 1 and I was just like, "Oh, Oh, yeah. That movie's bad for this reason. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, 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 I love Highlander. The, the first movie is just fun camp nonsense, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. 80s movies. Yep. Here it's we fits, are. It fits. They don't make them like they used to. Is someone doing a Highlander minute by minute? Because, damn. Yep. That, that'd be a good one. Yeah, I don't know who's doing that. They are doing it. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> oh, is that the uh, spoiler you were going to mention yeah. towards the end of the show? I think the important thing to focus on now is that Clarence is in the pit. He was yep. obviously wearing his seatbelt at the very last moment to survive yeah. such an accident, to fly through the air, flip upside down, and then land in the water. Yeah, is there yeah, continuity. I'm actually now looking back to see if um, he is actually wearing a seatbelt. No seatbelt in the uh, first he, part. It doesn't look like he is. No. <laughs> Maybe he did one of those quick last minute throw it on, perfect accuracy buckle into the fastener. <laughs> Somewhat related, but um, in Knight Rider, there are no seatbelts in Kit. You look like crap. Fuck you, Kit! Lewis, Lewis isn't even wearing. No, he's definitely not wearing a seatbelt. Um, if you look at the if you look at the first shot of the minute, and it, as it zooms in closer, he's not wearing a seatbelt. Yeah, he's dead. He's dead, man. <laughs> yeah, they should just. Uh, Robocop comes out, looks inside the car. Oh, he died because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. All right, well that problem mm. took care of itself. <laughs> Done and dusted. And then he does the Adam West Batman thing of, and do you see, kids, this is why you should always wear a seatbelt. <laughs> although, although that was getting a little bit Arrested Development. <laughs> or the Robocop cartoon. See, what we need is the interviewer from earlier in the movie be, Robo, Robo, do you have a message for the kids? Always wear your seatbelt. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it's like, and the old, you know, sorry, Clarence pops out, all of a sudden his fake arm uh, pops off, and then there's Michael Bluth just there standing, realizing what just happened. And then, then this is why you always wear a seatbelt. <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut. Um, so they mention a meal in the novelization. So, yes, um, I do have. So, basically, the order of events is slightly different. I mentioned it last. Uh, last minute that so it's basically it was um lewis that caused the crash of a meal and it's actually uh in this minute it's actually robocop that shoots the the windscreen of clarence which actually causes him to crash into a meal which kind of gets changed around in the movie um i do have a couple of notes from the script because this just is just uh, it would have been nice if they got into his mind which is it's probably mostly just ah 
Well, we'll, we'll get to that because th no, there's no internal monologue. I don't think there's really any internal monologues except for some of the, the Robocop stuff. Uh, mm. But for the, the script, it's scene 499 as Clarence turns up. He's, uh, the, the, the big note is what he sees, a monster. And then the, the text just says, it's Emil, the incredible melting man. He staggers, <laughs> mouth, mouth corroded into a gaping silent scream, arms flailing in the air. <laughs> Ooh, I have no mouth, but I must scream. By the way, that is the most horrifying story I've ever read. Well, so the book has this piece of padding. So it goes on for like Clarence, uh, you know, blah, 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 getting chased. He gaped at the apparition before him. It was a monster. He blinked. No, it was the moving shriveled, shriveled skeleton that was once been the meal. Emil staggered toward the car, mm. the few remnants of his flesh hanging in large strips from his body. His muscle uh. and tissues were exposed. His mouth was no more than a yawning hole in the center of water of semi-solid matter that had once been a face. How did they make it even worse than what it is? <laughs> Emil opened the hole in his face wide, a gaping silent scream. The SUS smashed into him, hard. Parts of Emil flew into the front of the car. Clarence wrestled with the wheel, the large car slamming into the side of a rolling press and began to spill totally out of control throughout the plant. It's not a badly written book for the most part, but mm. sometimes yeah. the prose is... Sometimes I think the problem with the book has been, like, when it's been the characterization of Murphy and Lewis, it's a little bit too bantery. Mm, I hate it. Because it's based off an earlier script and things like that. But when it comes to, like, some of the description stuff, it's not too bad. But yeah, the banter stuff, really bad. Like, the internal banter monologue. Well, I guess the dialogue was... It comes from the script, initially, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, as as much as the dialogue that is there. Like, when... Mm. when well, as a book was better... Uh, uh, what's the word? Alumni. Professional. <laughs> Alumni, that's the word. Uh, you know about the, the, the classic padding, where it's like, you're not allowed to change anything oh, yeah. in the movie... Not allowed to change the words and stuff like that, but you are allowed to add as much crap as possible. Yes. That's pretty much me noted out. What have I... No, it's just freaking gaslighting. Uh, I guess we should move on. Let's see. Let's, Rick, you got anything else you want to add oh, before we move on to the, the bad one? I wish I had more to say just to delay the gaslighting <laughs> I of Robocop. Know. But, I know. Uh, I... I hate to say it, but I've got nothing else to say about this, this I, I minute. Know. It... Other than I love it. <laughs> it's well, disgusting, I I... but I love it. Yeah, I, th I think the funny thing is, like, this is probably the most action we've got in this movie. Probably since the beginning of like, the car chase. But even the car chase, there's a lot of things to talk about. And now we're just getting to the point where we've talked about everything. It's at the big action scene at the end, and we're like... I'm, uh, well, uh, I think... The one thing I would say about what makes effective body horror is that it it should trigger some kind of empathy in that mm. you're looking at this person and going, what is it like mm. to live yeah. like that? And I, I was a very creepy kid, so I would look at uh, the preserved deformed fetuses, a whole Oof. field of, I think it's called teratology, oh, uh, yeah. studying I know what you're talking about. deformities and why they happen. And I was just so fascinated going, if he lived like that, 
what kind of life would that be? A very so, short yeah. one. Yes. Exactly. Very short one. But if you could survive, what happens? And um, uh, Oh, what was that? Uh, Annihilation. Annihilation is a really, another, really fascinating example of that. Same thing of, oh, so if your body could do that, and oh, yeah. Um, and I think for me, that's why body horror is my absolute favorite genre of horror. You know, the slashes and all that. That's boring. You know, you get cut up and beat up and okay well that happens in real life but what if there was this entity force power whatever Mm. that invades you on such a profound level that no one could in real life the the mutation disfigurement that very rarely happens in reality yeah real cronenberg stuff oh that's my favorite Hmm. yes cronenberg's my favorite you know, mm. Yeah, you're never going to have a remote coming out of your abdomen in real life. But what if it did, though? <laughs> well, honestly, they, you go. I mean, that's where I. That's where I put it. Existence is paused. Anyway, uh, I thought of something I wanted to ask you both before we move on to the Ooh, gaslighting yeah. Robocop. What are your sure. opinions yeah. of this final arena, where the uh, climax of this fight scene is going happening? What do you think of the pit? Oh, why? Well, yeah, go, go. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, I love that. I've been talking about this whole time, that this movie is perfectly mirrored, symmetrical, balanced. So mm. you begin in this location, you end in this location. So, yeah, choice of location, great. And then the whole water thing, the Christ-like imagery. Yeah, I get it. I, I have no issues with this. Oh, that was pretty much where I was going to be saying the same thing, is uh, the, uh, the symbology... Yeah, again, it's almost, it's almost like you got an Otea, a director, doing this dumb action film and elevating it to a point of, like, near perfection. Uh, I wish more things were like that. Yeah, no, I, I actually, I think it was probably one of those things where, like, there were, there were location scouting and they were just, and they found this steel mill and was like, oh, this is brilliant. And then they found this pit and we're just like, and then the crane and everything, and they were just like, oh, yeah, that, this is going to be so cool. Mm. No, because we're, we're going to be talking about it definitely in the next few minutes. But yeah, no, I, I'm definitely happy to talk about it now. Like in the sense of like my first impression is like, I told me as a kid I wouldn't I wouldn't have really gotten it. But as an adult, I'm like going, yeah, this is like, I, as someone who's done, done some filmmaking in the past, like sometimes when you, you, you know, doing a wrecking, you, you see that, you see that shot in your mind and you just go, yes, I I get that sense from this is like, you can tell that they found this location and went, oh yeah, we can shoot it from here. We can do this. We can do this and this, and it's going to be brilliant. Yeah. It, it, this isn't, this is not a made up location. This is something they found. And like, it, it's so cool. Like I I love urban decay and I like the rust, uh, rust looking. So So yeah, this is, I would love to find the steel mill and shoot the hell out of it. (laughs) Oh yeah, is this still there? I wonder. With with a with, with a camera, with a camera, not with American freedom. <laughs> I really appreciate <laughs> the fact that the final showdown takes place in a geographically situated lowest point. So you've got the metaphor yes. of him descending into a sort of hell to fight the devil on his terms, yeah. and despite the setbacks mm. he has, he's able to use his ability t- to eventually overcome and win the day. I, I think it's yeah. really great because it isolates Boddicker and Robocop away from Lewis and, uh, you know, Leon. Leon. I was going to call him yep. Leland Palmer, but 
<laughs> I can't separate those two characters with this actor. But um, yeah. it separates our heroes from their own sidekicks and makes it so that mm. we can focus in on just the two of them, but still have enough mm. geographic wherewithal to keep the other people um, situated in mental space. Yes. Plus, yeah, you know, it, it sets up it, the walking on water bit and, you know. Yeah. It's like you've done this movies by minute stuff before. <laughs> Listen, I really love this movie, you guys. I really, really love this movie. Yeah. I really? You could never tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It, well, I, we're, we're going we're gonna to definitely have a, you know, denouement kind of moments where we're like, it's almost finished and, oh, my God, blah, blah, blah. but, yeah, this, this is like a really insanely well-crafted uh, showdown, for lack of a better term, between these characters. And yeah, you just hit it straight on the head. Like, you know, it's important that we get this moment between Murphy and the man who killed him. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's not over, over, because like, there's still the big boss, but like... The catharsis is here, not with Dick Jones. Like this is. Don't say big boss. <laughs> uh, so, well, actually, uh, I could tie that to Metal Gear. What my question was is uh, getting revenge and the characters either succeeding in that pursuit or not. Phantom Pain, Metal Gear, obviously, is all about that. And then it's about Moby Dick. So again, same thing, revenge. Unfulfilled. Sorry, you talk about Moby Dick so I can get the Star Trek reference in now. Well, shit. That's exactly what I was hoping to spare you from. Oh, yeah, there we go. Everything's connected, man. <laughs> um, if you're going to crowbar Metal Gear in. For, yeah, we've got to get Metal Gear in there. Eventually, Phil will edit those episodes and we'll start <laughs> getting that show running. But yeah, no. Um, thinking a lot about uh, Phantom Pain and also Moby Dick and few other stories where revenge is the most central point of the story Hmm. and when your hero doesn't achieve that obviously it raises a lot of questions and it's different depending on the particular story so robocop surprisingly ends up being fairly straightforward here's bodyguard he's the guy who hurt robocop in the end he gets his revenge it comes full circle Hmm. and now i'm thinking about it and going oh I don't know if I would have done it that way. I kind of feel it would have been more impactful if he didn't get that revenge. Or he's changed so much. You know, his humanity has been removed to the point that it doesn't mean anything to him. But, well, we get into this when we actually get into the scene, but it doesn't really mean anything to him, I suppose. Well, what's interesting if you think about it from that perspective, and yeah, we'll we'll definitely bridge on about more, is that... Murphy doesn't go hunting for Bodica. It's almost... I mean, he do, he does in the sense of arresting him earlier on in the film. Yeah. But that feels more like a Robocop thing than a Murphy thing. Like, yeah. it was... No. He, there was a crime. He, he... Yeah, maybe he's in the background subconsciously, but it's a crime. He took out a crime. Uh, he took out a criminal. This is yeah. more about, like... He's also fighting for his life. You know, he's at his lowest point. Or he's been at his lowest point. He's rebuilding himself. And now it's... It, at the end of the day, like, the primary target is more Dick Jones in the sense of, like, he know, he, he's he got a... The goal is there, but you know, he, he hunts down Dick Jones, but he's not hunting Abodica. Abodica is hunting him down. 
So it's right. less less a intentional revenge plot, but it's yeah. the catharsis is there. For... I never thought about it from this context before, but yeah. So yeah. it's almost like the the people who done him wrong, they mm. end up putting themselves in his line of fire i guess so <laughs> he wouldn't have had the emotional impetus but uh, legally he does and then yeah. in terms of their behavior i guess it just all works out that way hmm. yeah no i literally only just thought about that when you said about revenge i'm like i'm not sure if this is re- it's revenge in the context of like he's avenged himself yeah but murphy's not been it's more explicit in the original novelization because i think it's based on an earlier script that Murphy and Lewis were hunting down Clarence. Mm. But in this one, Clarence comes to them. And this so, is why the remake is uh, also shit, for many reasons. <laughs> yeah. But this one is another one that... Well, no, he's fully conscious and he's trying to arrest Sellers and, well... Yeah. Getting personal revenge. I think it's much better in the original that, you know, Clarence and his goons are hunting Robo. And that he yeah, has yeah. to defend himself. It's it's so much better of a setup. Yeah, but it also works in the whole idea of like the 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 serendipitous circular motion. Like you know, the beginning of the movie, Murphy and Lewis were hunting the criminals. Now it's flipped on its head. Uh, time is a constant circle. <laughs> but yeah, see, it's like poetry. Robert it's that they rhyme. Okay, okay Mister Lucas. <laughs> Sorry, I take that back. <laughs> uh, okay, um, shall we, like... We have to delay the inevitable, yes. Yeah. Alex, how do you feel? I feel fine, Dr. Norton. So, minute 104 begins with Sellers' helicopter taking off and ends with Sellers telling Robocop, because I am the only one with the technology to keep you alive. Did I give you the wrong minute? Because I've got minute one hundred three here. Well, I also have minute one hundred four. Oh. So uh... okay, I think I might. I think I might have watched the wrong one. Cause the but the one it I saw. It is you that... who is wrong, yes. Simon. Because minute one hundred four on mine is slightly different. Hang on, let me you just have been outvoted, gotta... sir. <sighs> just double check. I mean, it's all the same. It all. It's the fucking... oh, no, I know. I. Minute after I... minute, it's identical. No, I did get. I did get the right one. I just was just okay. I... <laughs> don't care that much about it because no my only note is like uh hang on i actually gotta get the damn note out now uh yeah my only note was clara really doesn't move that far out of the way yes Uh, Um, see that's the great thing about this movie you're watching you still forget it my what makes me what makes me think of in this minute and it's again it's it's such a great concept you can Mm. do so much with it and they don't do anything. But even in the dialogue here where he's saying, you know, I'm the only one with the technology to keep you alive. It does... I, this is something I don't see enough in science fiction. Just delving into the true horror of one's mm. body becoming a product. A product subject yeah. to planned obsolescence, price hiking. Uh, yeah. the, the company could go bankrupt, bought out by an even bigger company that, that pulls an Adobe and decides you have to pay a lifetime subscription for your heart to continue pumping blood instead of a one-time payment. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, like, this could have been a great uh, uh, deconstruction and criticism on hypercapitalism instead of just mm. Steve Jobs bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very yeah. rudimentary. Elementary. It's, yeah, it's 
very surface level quote unquote criticism of even that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of over this film by now because I know I know it's not going to improve. We've got like what, six minutes left after this, and I just know it's like literally we're getting the Danium. We just get, we're at the Danium and literally like it's just finished in like two minutes, and there's just kind of just nothing. All right. Well, despite having all of the time in the world between my last appearance and now to actually sit down and watch. 2014's <laughs> RoboCop. I have not. Um, no, good, good call. I good call. am actually a little surprised that this particular scene is showing up. You said there's only yep. six minutes left in the runtime. Yep. yep, pretty much. Because yep. this is a reflection of you know yep. Robo confronting Dick Jones in his office, uh, and that is not the final scene of the movie for the original, <laughs> and so. I'm very confused as to why for the remake they saved it all the way to the end. And they have a, a, an even longer runtime as well. Yeah. So <sighs> And I couldn't even tell you. I, I we've reviewed this minute by minute and I can't even freaking tell you what those minutes were spent on. Like I well it is a reflection on the final confrontation with Dick Jones where they talk about Directive Four, but they only established Directive Four in the context of this movie literally two minutes ago. So, like, they don't even talk about his restrictive... Like, they, they don't even seed. They don't even set up for the payoff. They just... Now is the setup and the payoff. It's like, you <sighs> goddamn morons. Oh, it hurts. Mm. It, it hurts. Yeah, there's, like there's, like, a true irony just inside of, of a temple on the right side of my head. Yeah. It's... Oh, my God. Um, yeah, the true irony of... Well, not just this movie, but there are a lot of movies made by these massive corporations, and they're they're anti-capitalist. They're criticizing the status quo while simultaneously perpetuating the status quo. Yeah, I think someone did a video about uh, criticizing the Marvel movies. The MCU oh, yeah. is like they're kind of fascists <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the the best example of that is. Uh, as much as I enjoyed the series, Bucky and Sam go hitchhiking uh, across uh, the world. Sammy and Bucky. Um, the Sam and Bucky show is like this. The good guys are the rebels who are trying to stop the governments being assholes after, yeah, exactly. um, after the blip. Like, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, and... American propagandists, like, and that's the thing. It's not just you know, just a reflection of. Um, it's not just the Marvel movies. It's also. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've got to criticize them. American media is full of this type mm. of stuff, where it's always demonizing freedom fighters. The Last of Us. Uh, well, so they've recently done the the TV series. So I played that game when it came out, and I don't. Know, I guess because it's a video game, it's also by. A, well, I mean, Naughty Dog's not a an obscure indie studio, but no. they don't feel like this massive corporation. Um, so when the, that story was being communicated through the game, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with it. But then when it's HBO telling me that, oh, you know, the, the, uh, it's like this anti-fascists, you know, the, the, the government, the army mm. is evil. It's like, but you're all part of the same structure. Yeah. You know, well, the HBO is this very, uh, but it's, it's, I think it's one of the more expensive streaming services, so... Well, let's look at it from the sense of Robocop, uh, where let's say the, there's this whole idea of anti-capitalism as a critique, 
Okay, then let's focus on this, this the remake just for five seconds, because that's why I say it's not a, really much a, ca a critique of capitalism and hypercapitalism corporation. It's more of a cr critique of Steve Jobs. It's more mm. a critique of this one <laughs> company true. and their business practices and stuff like that. But so, and it, because it's focused on Raymond Sellers as the Steve Jobs character, it doesn't critique the system that's in true. that's that's really the problem. It's going. Well, if we didn't have these Steve Jobs, you know, the, the modern day equivalent would be Elon Musk. Like, right. it, there's mm. plenty. To, there's definitely plenty to critique on Elon Musk. And as much as I love Glass Onion, that's kind of one of the problems in regards to the Elon Musk character in that. Yeah. Is that it's it's less about the system. It does go a little bit into the system, but it's less about the system, more about the personalities. Right, because modern screenwriting is obsessed with it's not the system that's corrupt, it's the individuals yes. within the system. Oh, yeah. But the, the, the truth of the situation is, no, the system is corrupt and it is being yeah. abused by bad people. But even the good people within the system are still bad people by association it's the whole reasoning behind a cab you know even if you have cops that are yeah. good people individually they are still part of a system at least you know here in america that i can't believe that that topic was not brought up in robocop i know right and like yeah they're part they're participating in a system that has rotten roots and a lot yeah. of people are like, well, you can't rip out the roots. Yeah, but the only way to properly replant something is to tear it out of the mm -hmm. rotten ground that it's currently growing in and place it yeah. in a new pot of fertile soil. The system isn't corrupt. The system is built exactly as it was meant to do. It was meant to empower the rich and the powerful more yeah. and more and more <laughs> and diminish the, the poor and the lower classes. The system works perfectly. That's That's why I have to laugh when... When someone says, oh, capitalism is broken, it's like, no, capitalism is functioning exactly as it was exactly. designed to do. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We just need to burn it down. Uh, this, this is the end point of it. Yeah. Um, so I think if, if a Hollywood movie was totally honest and real, it would basically be telling you, get out of your seat in the cinema, go home, go live a life, go rebel, go start. Uh, yeah. Get out of the yeah. guillo guillotines. Yeah. And you, you're never going to get that from a major Hollywood film. Again, again going back to glass onion um it was it was a made by netflix <laughs> yeah you know? well the closest thing we got to that amazingly and i don't think this show gets enough respect and attention mr robot mr robot yeah. is brutally honest in its attack on every system we have and hmm. i mean it was a little streaming service but uh you know amazingly got that many seasons got to play its story out to the end hmm. Well, art is good at criticizing the system it's in. That's why mm. when people go, well, if you don't want to be in capitalism, you should just get out of it. It's like, no, that's not how life works. Holy crap. This actually movie is letting us have a good discussion. It's probably the only yeah. good thing it can do. Yeah. Well, it's distracting us from the fact that um, the, the RoboCop, confronting sellers like yeah it's a direct <sighs> mirror of robocop confronting um dick jones but like dick. the uh the the soldiers and the family and the assistants like they don't need to be there they're they're pulling attention away from our focus should be on you know joel kinnebot 
and you know Batman. Like they should be our focus in this scene, and just adding all these extra people around completely unnecessary. I hate it. Well, it's giving me a headache just thinking about it. Also, this shouldn't be a you know eleven fifty nine reveal. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the the purpose of this scene is the whole. Is he a man or is he a machine? Can he overcome his programming kind of bullshit? That's really all this is set up for. You know, it's the whole... I mean, if you want to go into the critique of the original film, like at the end, Robocop cannot function outside of his system. The only way he's able to defeat Dick Jones is when he exposes him and Dick Jones is fired. And if Dick hadn't probably pulled a gun on the old man... uh. Robocop probably would not have been able to have done anything, or even if he did get fired, he probably wouldn't have killed him because he wasn't a threat. So, yeah. But that's something we can talk about much later on. Right. You've still got a few minutes left. We've still got a few minutes left. We, we've got a, we've, we've still got one big bad to, to kill first. <laughs> mm. I will give them points here, actually, that uh, this Robocop looks kind of cool when he's all beat up and he's missing an arm. It's like, you finally think that, oh, he could be a robot. I could, yeah, I could yeah. buy this. Doesn't look it's too cause, bad. It's because we're seeing actual robot parts. <laughs> yeah. I will, I've gone on about that endlessly, but yeah, I still can't figure out, why didn't you go that kind of Alita Battle Angel route where you just mm. make the character really look like a cyborg, there's see-through bits, there's missing bits, yeah. Or just make the suit metallic and not look like rubber. Was it? No, there was. It was silver initially, and then they made it black, they, right? They yeah. made it black. They made it matte black yeah. to yeah, you know, look like a so yeah, cool. to look like a gun. But it's like, even if it just had like a, a dark metal sheen, like God damn it, that's the problem with the suit is that once they turned it black, it just looked fake. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to shoot mm. it at night, so it's literally melting uh, into the background. Uh, and it's also a very it's the modern day problem love like the dark caster you know make him uh, blue put a red light on his head (laughs) (laughs) yeah it should have been a a robo hammer remake um (laughs) the um but there that's the the modern day cinematography thing of like we're just gonna like pull down the luminosity by two steps and like have like this dark cast over it like really deep blacks and uh, do you if, remember in the early two thousands when everyone was getting? Well, I don't know. This is not an international thing. The the barley copies, the cheap DVDs that you would oh, get yeah. from barley. <laughs> the ones that were shot and in the this, cinema. Yeah, they're shot in the cinema, and they're so dark. I remember yeah. my family and I trying to watch Hellboy, and like you can see, <laughs> you can see Hellboy. That's about. <laughs> No, it's always fun when the uh, the camera's being positioned like the front row off to the side, and you just get this weird warping perspective of the yes. Like, and you kind of what you're we kind did of... before we understood internet piracy. Ah, uh, internet piracy was a thing, but it's still the fact that you still got to be able to capture it. <laughs> mm. And this is the days days before you know um, cell phone um, cameras and um, the like. Oh, they had cameras. They just oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it had, you had to like take it in with a tripod and stuff like that, and yeah, you know, <laughs> to sneak yeah. it in. They did a whole episode of Seinfeld about recording movies on a handheld camera, and I think it was Jerry yeah. who was just a savant when it came to bootlegging films, and he wanted to get out, but he was just so good at it, they wouldn't let him get out. <laughs> they keep pulling him back <laughs> yeah. in. They're like, Jerry, it's, oh, a couple it's, of seasons it's the best. Though, 
you know, bootleg footage they've ever seen. It's perfect. And he's like, but I don't want to bootleg movies. <laughs> that show would have been so good as animated. Everyone's got such distinct voices <laughs> and mannerisms. and yeah. Agreed. <laughs> and then in post, you can easily uh, edit out the problematic actors. Mm. <laughs> Or better still, just edit out Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, sorry, I can't stand the guy. No, he's fine. He's you can't hate him. Y- yeah, I can. Um. Anyway, I guess that about wraps it. Am I stealing your line? <laughs> that about covers it. Anyway, um, Rick, plug away. Absolutely. Okay. So as I mentioned at the top of this episode, I am of course one half of the team behind Mad Max Minute. You can find all of that stuff on madmaxminute.com. You'll find all four seasons that we released talking about the Mad Max movies specifically. You will also find our fifth season entitled Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time, where we go through the movie Waterworld, the extended Ulysses cut, two minutes at a time. Uh, Both I and my co-host Julia do that. And then if you're looking for something a little more recent from me, you can go to a website called www.swordboys.biz. That is a collaborative project that I have been working on with Robin from Karate Kid Minute and Jonathan from Minute Impossible. And we three sword boys are going through your favorite sword and sorcery movies from the 80s, 90s, and today. Uh, Currently, we are releasing episodes covering 1986's Highlander. We cut it up into eight cuts that we are going through every other Tuesday. We started releasing on March 7th, and we've been going strong there. We're going to do eight episodes of Highlander, and then we're going to talk about Beastmaster and Hawk the Slayer and Red Sonja. (laughs) All of those classic movies from the Sword and Sandals era that you know and love. I like Red Sonja. (laughs) That's a guilty pleasure. It's not great, but I like Red Sonja. Not everything is going to be a diamond but no. that's the thing about sword and sorcery movies is they're always fun. Mm. Have you done, um? oh, what's it called? Uh, Ator, the... I can't remember what the full title of it is, but it's like four Ator movies, and the first one is just boring garbage, <laughs> but it's kind of just that thing where you're just like, going, there's something about this. I can't stop looking at it. Well, given that we have such a slow rollout, we haven't done um, too many episodes. I think we just barely released episode four as of this recording here but we have a incredibly long list of movies to watch for this project Ator the Fighting Eagle a 1982 Italian adventure fantasy directed by Joe DiMario so yeah it's not great but it's it's probably worth a watch at least they did four of them yeah yeah so yeah I think at this point our oh yeah it it was on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, we have yeah. 43 movies on our list of Sword Boys movies. So give us time. We'll we'll work yeah. through all of them eventually. Yeah, I think this one started off as like, I can't remember if it was a Conan ripoff or a Star Wars <laughs> ripoff. Or it, was like, it was just one of those things. Aren't they all a combination like, of the two? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, where can we find you, Simon? 
you can find me at uh, painting with nights at uh, painting with nights uh, no caps no gaps on facebook and instagram and painting with and where can the lovely viewers find you courtney well, first of all, I need everyone to know that there is an animated Seinfeld, or there's a few clips. Um, <laughs> someone's done it in uh, a Don Bluth. Uh, oh, God. What are they called? Anthropomorphic? Anthropomorphic <laughs> yeah. style? Um, and it's actually yeah. pretty good. So. <laughs> anthropomorphic was before Don Bluth, but yeah, 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 I get, I get it, yeah. Um, no, no, no. I mean, it's an anthropomorphic Don Bluth. It's actually Don Bluth style. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, you know, that's a more fourth, it was more of a Ralph Bakshi thing. But yeah, again, that's just me being an animation nerd. No, 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 I mean this is specifically to look like <laughs> the Don Bluth one. I'm not talking Ralph Bakshi. This is Don Bluth style. I know what I'm talking about. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so you could find me, uh, Courtney Colson, on YouTube. And hopefully sometime soon, Metal Girl Solid will begin in which we talk about Snake Eater. I know there's a song associated with that, but that's the only thing I know about Snake yeah, Eater. Yeah, it's the theme of the game. The best song. The Like a James Bond opening? Yeah. What a thrill. <laughs> yes. Like, there's a lot of awesome things about Snake Eater. I cannot sing, because I clearly have the voice of an angel, so... <laughs> yeah. It was sung by Shirley Bassey. It's kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> Sadly, the other games... Well, okay. Uh, some of the games still have really awesome theme songs, but none of them quite get as good as Snake Eater. Because <laughs> I've got golfing and now stuck in my head. Yeah, anyway. well, uh, Snake Eater takes place in 1964, which is the same year that Goldfinger came out. So I watched Goldfinger as oh. part of research, and I went, oh, this makes a lot of sense now. I'm understanding how everything's connected. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, now. Simon, I would definitely recommend jumping on YouTube and listening to the Snake Eater theme. Um, oh, it's no. amazing. Oh no, no, yes, but you have yes. to you have to get the actual tune and lyrics in your head because otherwise you're just going to walk around replacing uh, Goldfinger with Snake Eater with Snake Eater. <laughs> I mean, it's very easy to do. Some days you feed in a treat. Frog. Same number of syllables. <laughs> <laughs> yes but you you need to listen to the actual song you can't rely on your own brain to fill in the gaps yeah but what if i'm disappointed and i've just just set myself you won't up for be you. i promise no no one no one hates snake eater what are you talking about <laughs> then one day i'll actually play the game <laughs> sins of the father the song from phantom pain sins of the father mm, that's a banger that's good there's but no one knows the one in Peace Walker. There's one in Peace Walker. It's just not, not as good. As long as they don't keep any more, make any more games, so they get to the Dying of the Day cover. <laughs> I that is my guilty pleasure. I kind of like that song because it's just a mess. Bad. Just like the movie. Bad. <laughs> that was one of my first James Bond films. Oh, you poor person, you. I was a '90s child. You don't deserve that. You just no mm. one deserves to have Die Another Day as their first Bond film. Uh, it's kind of my uh, my my motto, though. Weirdly, it's kind of <laughs> become my motto. I uh, yes, you can find us on Spotify, YouTube, and uh, you know, it would be nice if we got some comments. Sometimes, you know, I'm not not that I'm lonely or anything, but like, it would be nice. <laughs> um, and we're on Inst. Oh yeah, shit, we got Instagram. I haven't updated it, so <laughs> I should do that. 
And uh, until next time. Don't touch me, Robocock. I like how that has just so many different grammatical uh, connotations to it. Thank <laughs> you.